0: G'day, Steve. First day of lockdown today. How are you, mate?
1: Not bad. Actually, I'm fantastic. We'll want to get to the why I'm fantastic in a sec. But first, mate, congratulations. How's it going? <laughs> you and Ash just brought uh, your new daughter into the world. How's all that going?
0: We did. Very fortunate to bring uh, little Stevie into the world. She was born on the 4th of July and yeah, absolutely loving dad life so far. Um, been fortunate that she came middle weekend of the holidays, so... Um, yeah, you and know, actually been an absolute angel and yeah, absolutely loving it so far. We don't know what we did without it. Yeah,
1: uh, it's such great news, mate. I'm sure everyone listening is very happy for you and Ash, and no doubt you'll make good parents too. Um, the child obviously named after me.
0: That's it, mate. You know, <laughs> don't don't talk to you enough, start to get another Stevie running around. So, uh, yeah, you, you can run with that as much as you like. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Uh, about now, now uh, We're, today, to, what a podcast! Yeah.
1: Yes, we just had a podcast. Tell the listeners who we've got coming up today.
0: So Cooper Chapman, um, professional surfer, um, only only 27 from Australia, but also the creator of the Good Human Factory, which is, um, I guess, an organisation, if you will, or this project that talks about mental health. They go into um, schools and run workshops and just had a really good, I guess, positive and unique view on mental health and how to approach it with um, people in the community, didn't he?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I must admit, like, and he even touches on it himself, that some of his pillars, without knowing, sort of relate to another um, workshop program type thing at schools. But I found his story such a unique one. And, um, yeah, I think it's really going to take off. So no doubt anyone out there, particularly teachers, um, are going to get plenty out of it, I reckon. And oh, I think teachers
0: to- will absolutely love this, especially when he talks about his, his actual workshop um, and what it does with the kids. But also... If people are into surfing, they'll probably get a fair bit out of listening to his surfing stories at the start as well. It was a, uh, it was awesome to sit and chat with him.
1: Yep. He's got a podcast himself. He's got like mental health tips on his website. He's got like a really cool shop as well. Um, yeah. And his workshop sounds pretty cool. And you can find everything at thegoodhumanfactory.com. Um, Want to add anything else before we get into it, Josh?
0: Maybe just a quick shout out to my old man who is an avid surfer. And uh, when he found out that we're interviewing a pro surfer today, he supplied us with a few questions, which were awesome for the episode. And also just a quick reminder to anyone who wants to find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook to search. Uh, This is your Teaching Life podcast. And then get in touch with us there.
1: And as always... The crew at the This Is Your Teaching Life podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gathered today and pay our respects to their elders, both past and present.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Is Your Teaching Life, a podcast about ordinary teachers and their not-so-ordinary jobs. Join co-hosts Josh Simpson and Steve Crow as they explore the journey and experiences of everyday teachers coaches, and educators. Discover tips, tricks, and advice as you listen to stories from
0: everyday people who dedicate their lives to one of the world's most intricate, challenging, and rewarding jobs, teaching. This is Your Teaching Life. All right, uh, Cooper Chapman, welcome to the podcast, mate.
2: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: No, we're very appreciative of you uh, giving up your time today to join us on This Is Your Teaching Life. Um, now, you're a pro surfer and CEO or creator of The Good Human Factory, and we're really keen to touch on that today. Uh, but first, you just want to introduce yourself, who you are on the day-to-day.
2: Um, yeah, well, my name's Cooper Chapman, professional surfer. I grew up in Sydney's Northern Beaches and moved to the Gold, Oh, well, I live in Kingscliff now, on the north coast of New South Wales, I did 26 years in Narrabeen, and Moved up to uh, Byron in May last year and now been in Kingscliff for about eight months and absolutely loving life. It's been a great change, but yeah, a bit about me. Yeah, grew up Narrabeen, went to primary and high school across the road from each other. A very tight little bubble where I grew up, the beach Narrabeen where I spent most of my time learning to surf and coming through the junior eggs is very well known for high-performance surfing. It's got kind of the strongest local board rider club in Australia at for um the individual beach so very fortunate to grow up in that environment that was I guess why my surf career has been as successful it has been getting to travel the world internationally for the last 10 years and compete well I mean all around the world I've been very very fortunate to live an amazing life but yeah that's been very short pitch but yeah I grew up surfing competing traveling the world and yeah now focusing a lot of time on this mental health business and arena that i've found myself in but really really enjoying it very rewarding work and knowing that um yeah my new kind of purpose and visions are having a positive effect on the community around me but yeah grew up surfing doing still competing still trying to chase the surf dream but yeah balancing it out a lot differently than i was say five years ago
1: oh that's awesome cooper and um I can't wait to talk to you more about how you find working with kids in primary schools, and, um, but to the, how you touched on your own primary school then, um, being a teacher podcast, we love to find out more about things you remember about your primary school days and sort of that journey through school. Is there any – well, obviously you had, probably had some surfing achievements I'd imagine throughout, but do you have any other sporting or schooling achievements worth mentioning from those days?
2: Oh, funny. I, I, in year six when I was in primary school, everyone has to do dance, And I remember just being like the trying to be high achiever, put your hand up for anything kid and put my hand up for the main role in the dance for the yearly dance. And I think I was, I had to remember that, I was meant to remember all the lines for the whole play slash dance that it was to lip sync it. And I didn't remember any of my life and just kind kind of just like, fluffed my way through it without actually knowing any of the words lip syncing. That was a funny moment that I remember back at primary school. That was very taught me a good lesson that preparations, everything sucks being up on stage when you're not prepared. (laughs) It's
0: a little early lesson there for you, but good on you for being brave and putting your hand up to give it a crack. But no, (laughs) I I really
2: from primary to high school, I've always enjoyed the process of learning and trying to understand new things.
0: So you we were an academic student back in the day? What's the end of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't I wouldn't say I was a crazy overachiever academic, but I would probably put myself up in that sort of top 10-20% of students when it came to academic stuff. I felt like I could pick up on stuff pretty pretty quickly, but the thing that helped me so much was travelling the world from I mean 12-13, I was getting to travel internationally for surf comp. so I think just getting to learn new cultures and travel the world is such a great way to grow up and to understand the way the world works, but also gather that education of just learning on the road and learning how different cultures work and learning how the world works rather than just that sort of insulated community that we usually grow up in as youngsters.
1: I'd imagine you would have had like some people coaching or teaching or mentoring you in that time. Is there anyone that sort of stands out as having like a big influence on you in that point of your life?
2: Uh For sure. I definitely went through many, not like many surf coaches, but, oh, what's yeah. Just lots of, lots of people. Barton Lynch was a great coach. I was sponsored by Hurley for uh quite some time. And Barton Lynch is a world champion ex pro surfer He was my coach for years and learned so much good stuff from him, just understanding what he went through. how different things have changed. Um, Yeah. And I I just feel like you can pick up something from everybody. Once you drop the ego and there's definitely times when I was a junior that I didn't appreciate and probably absorb the information and the constructive criticism I got from coaches. But I feel like as I've matured, I've started to really pick up little bits from everybody and, um, yeah, have the humility to know that everybody kind of has their own little things that work for them. And if you can pick and choose little bits from everybody, that's where you can really find those juicy nuggets of information. But yeah, Barton Lynch was a big, um big influence on me when I was younger. And yeah, he's probably my main, one of my main coaches that I learn a lot from.
0: No, that's awesome, man. It's so true about picking up on, uh, things from everyone that's what crow and i we started this within our school last year and just chatting to our colleagues we used to walk away from every episode you know learning something new so 100 percent, you know relate to that and agree uh something else we talk about is our enter scores so um you know obviously in year 12 kids study hard for their enter score and it's not always an indication of where they go in life um but how'd you go in year 12 and what was your enter score
2: so we call it the ATAR in New South Wales, but I actually didn't get one. So I did finish school. I went to year 12 education was something that I, um, my parents were very adamant that I finished school. I mean, I was very lucky. I was getting, I think I was getting paid like 25 or $30,000 to, sp- to surf when I was in year 11 and 12 from my sponsor, which was um, pretty cool, but which a lot of guys in my position would have dropped out and just focused purely on the surfing at year 11 and 12. Um, but yeah i I really appreciated that my parents pushed me to finish high school but as i said i didn't actually get one of the scores because i knew i was on like a five-year contract i had about three years of guaranteed paid surfing traveling work so i didn't put that pressure of um the university index score on myself i decided that it'd be better to study the subjects that I could pick up a different skill. So I did my um, cert three and four in sport and fitness and exercise at TAFE during year 12, which we had a teacher come to our school um, and take us through um, four hours once a week. And that was our TAFE course for each um, for year, 11 and 12. So I got my level four in sport and rec fitness while I was doing year 11 and 12, which to me was just as important as getting an ATAR because I knew I wasn't going to uni and I had a pretty good understanding that there's other ways to get into uni as a mature age student. And I just didn't see that close horizon had university in it for me because my path had somewhat been set before leaving, because I knew that I was in that top sort of 1% of surfers and I did have a sponsorship and a career post school set up for at least three to five years. So yeah, I mean, I did do well. I got more – I think all my results were, like, between, like, mid to high 80s in most of my subjects. So, yeah, I still did – I think I did, like, just general English, general maths. Um, what I do? I did business studies. I did – I think it was – I can't remember what it was called. It was, like, the sport one that, did, that wasn't PE, like, kind of just a fun sport one. And then I did modern history, and that was probably my favourite subject. I really enjoyed learning – about the last kind of 100 years learning about World War One, World War II and understanding why we live in the world we do live in today. And it was probably my least uh, academic subject from a score wise but it was definitely the subject that I enjoyed going to the most because I felt like I was just learning so much stuff that was uh, really interesting that I probably wouldn't learn, especially once I finished school, probably wouldn't learn.
1: It's really interesting hearing you speak about that, Cooper, because often we talk to people and a lot of the time it's they had no idea what they were going to do towards the end of the school and kind of at a bit of a loss and trying to find who you are. And that can be a challenge. How did you find that like knowing what you were doing and having that clear path? So like early or did you notice any difference between some of your, your mates and stuff at that time going through similar stuff?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, obviously very unique situation, having um, a sponsor from surfing and being able to travel and support myself from straight after school um, but my big one came that I knew that oh, I still know that surfing isn't going to last forever, and a lot of people, sure, they don't know what they want to do. But that kind of eighteen to twenty five is where they find that thing that they want to do for the rest of their life, or at least for a large portion, and set their life up. Whereas I've been chasing a surf dream, and that's why I'm so proud of what I've built now with the Good Human Factory. Is that I've kind of got something for after surfing now. And I feel like a lot of athletes do get lost and they chase a big dream and then don't get there or even get there for a year or two and then fall off their kind of high, high placing in their sport and then end up back at square one, but they're 27 at the same as people are when they finish school at 17, 10 years earlier. So um, I've always been very aware of that and, tried to utilize my brain and keep my brain ticking over from an education point. I try and read a lot of books around self-development and that's kind of where the good humor factory was born from was my awareness about trying to continue to grow and my, my own um, I guess, journey in self-development and my own journey in self-discovery and understanding ways to, be the best version of myself. And that's kind of bled over to what the good human factory is.
0: You know, it's a testament to yourself, man. I think those around you that you had that foresight to know that, you know, it's not going to last forever to put those um, plans in place so that when surfing, you know, sort of did wrap up, you had that there. Um, When was it that you thought, yeah, I can make a career out of surfing? Like, it sounds like you're quite young when you were heading overseas. Like what, what time did that happen?
2: Uh, I mean, it happens, this flow of things in, in Australia and as just a junior surfer. I mean, I probably started surfing when I was like nine. And then by the time I was 10, I like learned pretty well. Like I had really good balance and picked it up pretty quickly. And then picked up like a little sponsor for a year. And you start doing the junior events. And I started winning all the local junior events. And then we started traveling kind of interstate and had won a few national events and got sponsored by Rip Curl. And then that was kind of like, all right, I was winning a lot of events from a young age and then I think when I, I turned 14 and I won an Australian title in the under 16s and that was kind of like, all right, I guess like I am good enough. Like if I'm the best in the country, in a country where surfing's pretty pretty, um, well, at the time, especially like 13 years ago, Australian surfing was at the very, very top by quite a bit. So if you're the Australian champ, it kind of gives you that vision that professional surfing is, on the horizon and then yeah after that I got my first paid contract when I think I was 15 and that was yeah kind of where I knew that next that at least that sort of journey to like early 20s is going to be set because I felt like I was continuing to improve I knew that I had the work ethic and the brains on my shoulder to compete at a high level and yeah that was when I generally knew that surfing was going to be somewhat of a path but as I said I've always been very conscious that I want to have more in my life than just being a surfer
1: that's unreal man like i'm fascinated to know as well from all that at like such a young age and that um the the competitive side and how big a deal it must have been for you like how did you go handling kind of the pressures involved with it and the, the the level of competition at such a young age did you have any sort of strategies that you you know took from any of your mentors growing through that aided you at that time
2: Oh, I think I was just a competitive kid. Don't get me. I, I reckon I cried every time I lost until I was like 16. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I just, I, I just grew up in a competitive environment. And like I touched on at the start, the beach that I grew up at, at North Narrabeen has had probably the more, most amount of surfers in the maybe second behind snapper rocks on the gold coast, but North Narrabeen the second most renowned. So I was, I was growing up in this environment where I had, role models all above me from uh laura eneva who's a my, was my sister's best friend she was a world junior champion at 19 at our local beach so like there's a lot of history in my beach and that was a massive massive part of my development i don't think if i didn't grow up at narrabeen i would have half the successes i'd have and continue to have in my surfing so the yeah the environment was a massive factor and the role models i had just every single day i was surfing with a handful of the best in the world. So I had those people to really push my surfing. Yeah. That's unreal.
0: And that's, um, you spoke about the competitive side of it. Like a lot of people go out for a surf to relax and just to have some fun was being so competitive in the surfing. Did it take away the fun element from surfing or just still find a way to balance out with the competitive nature of the competition?
2: Um, I think, more towards the like last five years of my career I kind of got in certain ruts where the fun of it went away but I think in that development stage from 10 to 20 the improvement rate was coming so quickly that that's kind of where you got the enjoyment I got so much enjoyment as a kid because I'd learn a new trick and do it for the first time whereas now the improvements are so micro compared to back then that I think that was where a lot of the enjoyment came from. And then once it did start getting more serious traveling and as well, when I was quite young, there was a lot more winning than when you get to the international stage. So that keeps the enjoyment rate quite a lot up when you're having a lot of success and you're making the finals every second weekend in an event. Whereas um, when you reach the international stage, it's trying to find the enjoyment in the travel and the enjoyment in the culture rather than just the success and the improvement And that's what I'm learning a bit more with the maturity of age that yeah, 22 to 25, almost little gap in my career. There was definitely moments where it felt like a bit of a chore and I was, the pressure was super high because I had sponsors expecting me to do well. And I went through stages where I wasn't doing too well. So um, yeah, I think the, the enjoyment has gone through flows, but I've got back to the stage now where I just really any opportunity I get to compete at the highest level and be in the top hundred in a sport in a sport where there's probably a hundred million surfers in the world. Like it's pretty crazy to be in the top zero point zero 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 one percent of a sport. So getting to um, find the enjoyment in that, that instead of being like, Oh, I fell on that turn, being like, wow, I have the ability to do almost anything I want. So that's kind of yeah. Good to lean back and finding the fun element in that.
1: I'm sure you got thousands of stories from all your time in that space, mate, but like, what's it, give us the, uh, you know, a bit of a snapshot. We see all kind of the life of a pro surfer from the other side. And um, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that dream of uh, taking that path, but like, what's it like behind the cameras? Is it as unreal as it (laughs) looks? Oh,
2: there's definitely, Oh, don't get me wrong. Like there's times you hear the surfers complain on my tour anyway the QS it's the grind because we're usually surfing subpar waves compared to what you see on the world tour stage but I mean as much as it is amazing we're traveling around the world but I, I mean a snapshot of something that kind of sucks is you'll for me I didn't have a sponsor the, I haven't had a sponsor the last four years of my career so I'll work 50 hour weeks to save the money to go to portugal for an event and the wsl can't get enough funding to put on more than one event so it's a three and a half thousand dollar return airfare to portugal plus you pay for all your accommodation you pay for all your entry fees your insurances with the wsl usually it costs you about six grand for a trip to portugal return um for two weeks and then you've spent all your money that you've been laboring to get there you get there and then you lose first heat and you kind of fly back home and just burn all this money, not really got to do much more than just fly there, surf in an event in average waves and fly back. That can be a hard one, but you can complain about anything. I'm starting to really just appreciate like how cool it is that I can fly around the world to surf in surf event, you know what I mean? To ride a surfboard and get paid to do it. It's pretty special.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's amazing, And you know, I've been sitting here today watching a few of your highlights on YouTube and whatnot, and you're very impressive on the old surfboard. Um <laughs> when uh you talk then like when you travel you might go to a comp and you don't win and no doubt it gets challenging and stressful what do you do for yourself in those times where you are getting a bit stressed out or finding a bit challenging to help yourself relax and look after yourself
2: um oh i definitely meditate a lot when i'm away competing try and like wake up in the morning meditate have a clear de-stressed mind and then even when you do lose oh there's, there's a lot of different i go through so many stages I, I haven't found a perfect formula to be honest like i try to journal after i lose and at least or lose all win after each heat i try and write down what went well what didn't go well and at least have some data and be a bit analytical about what happened and then oh i mean usually i'll try and it'll take usually the rest of that day to get over you know not get over it but to it just depends as well how I lose if I lose in a way that was as a result of me making mistakes that hurts a lot more than if it's a condition thing or uh, um or I get out surfed if somebody surfs really well and smashes me like I can respect and appreciate that because I do that to people as well so but it's when I start making mistakes and lose miss opportunities that's the most disappointing but it's just yeah trying to learn from them and move forward and continue to yeah learn and get better
1: that's interesting what you touched on there about using your journal to be analytical and as well as reflective um i hadn't thought about that before so thanks for sharing that i might try and apply that in our space in teaching because often i'll reflect on our lessons i know it's pretty different but not in a sense of being analytical about it so
2: you you create data and you see patterns that's something for me like i'll give you a small example so like i'll write down if i start for surfing you guys don't know surfing at all okay this is going to be very hard to explain so in whoever's whoever's the deepest on the peak we call it on the inside has priority for the very first wave of the heat and this one you guys can tussle for position and whoever starts on the furthest the inside um can catch the first wave so i would write down at this if i did that or i or i let the other person take the first wave and i think it was like eight out of ten times if i took state like was aggressive and took the inside at the start i made the heat so i just started to gather data and then started to realize oh if i'm doing this over more often these are like when i know that i'm doing well so i mean, crossover well it's kind of anything it's just like reflecting on how something went and if you see positives happen after doing a certain thing continue to do that thing Mm -hmm. but that was um yeah i've I go through stages so where I don't write down stuff after my heat because I get over it. But I definitely – I did a year where I did, like, every heat and I found so many patterns and then continued to try and work on the weaknesses and, um, yeah, continue to develop the strengths. That's cool, mate. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah, so I was going to say, Josh, you had enough of asking questions about the surfing. We're ready to get into the... Hu-
0: <laughs> no, we did enjoy the it. surfing chat, but yeah, let's, um, <laughs> let's get stuck into the, the Good Human Factory. Um, obviously, being teachers, we're certainly interested in uh, the Good Human Factory and the workshops you offer within, within schools and how it all started. So I just want to give us an um, overview of that, what it is and, and why it was created.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, the good human factory, I'll give you a bit of a snapshot of my mental health somewhat journey as to why it's so important to me. But so like when I was quite young, I lost an uncle to suicide when I was about six or seven. Um, and then I'd watch my dad, nothing super serious, but deal with some anxiety and depression growing up, um, have some problems with alcohol. And my mom kind of just used to never really believe like would tell him to get over it. So I kind of had the yin and yang of, a mom who was like, "Get over it," saying like, "You meant to be the man," which is so normal and nothing against her. That's just how she was raised. And a dad who, absolutely not showing weakness, but needed to go and see a psychologist because he had some mental issue, mental health issues going on. So I was very conscious that mental health might be something that will become important in my life after losing an uncle and watching my dad. I knew that sort of is hereditary fast forward i lost in a few surf events when i was about 19 in um america and i had a bad run of results and i was like far out Am I depressed am i like i have to go home and see a psychologist i'm like super in a bad space and then i was like to be honest i was very fearful of seeing a psychologist or like really telling anyone how i was feeling because i felt almost guilt because i was traveling the world surfing professionally i was like what who am i to whinge about having poor mental health um so from that, I started reading a lot of self-development books, trying to maybe find some ways. 50% because I wanted to use it for performance. If I can understand how to hack my brain being a professional athlete, I might be able to get some a few percentage edge. But also I knew that it was going to help with my mental health if I could find some extra tricks and tips from different gurus, from different experts in their field when it came to all different things in self-development. Um And that was just personally purely for me because I wanted to increase my performance and I wanted to avoid falling down. Well, I wanted to build skills around mental health. Fast forward another two years. I was, well, what what did this been? I would have been like 24 now. And then my um, little sister came home from her last year at school and like mid-year in her last year of school and said a friend had taken his life to suicide. And I was like, fire out, like it sucks. Like year 12, beautiful part of the world we're losing like kids to suicide two weeks later she came home and another friend took his life and I was just like you know what I need to do something about this like I'm so grateful and so fortunate for the amazing life I've got to live traveling the world I feel like I've never really had a problem in my life but I knew that I had these skills that I developed because of this fear of mental illness personally so then when my little sister lost her friends I was like maybe I can go and have a chat to some I initially wanted to just chat to athletes at schools because I felt like I had a bit of a niche and could maybe get through being quite young still and being a bit more of a role model and coming from a place of trying to inspire the kids to take action rather than coming from a lot of the other. I remember when I was at school, there was like a guy would come in in a wheelchair and be like, I tried to take my life. I'm in a wheelchair now and kind of operate in a um, kind of operate from an angle of fear, which is what, a lot of industries use because it's a good way to be a bit of a reality check for people when it comes to mental health. But the stats are getting worse. I looked into this uh, like the when I lost my sister lost a few friends. I looked at the stats and looked how really negative um the statistics behind mental illness is in Australia. And I was just like maybe I can go and encourage people to build some of the skills like I did. So developed when I spoke to my old school teacher in high school from high school who was a good mate of mine he's actually my TAFE teacher and then he ended up working full-time now at um Narrabeen Sports High where I went to school and he was like yeah mate there's actually a really big industry for this like schools always need speakers schools need people to come in and I always had a bit of a a bit of a imposter syndrome like who am I to go and speak about mental health like I'm not a psychologist Um, and that took me probably like 12 to 18 months to shake and, and not until I'd started taking data from my workshops and realizing that yeah it really is having a good impact and there's um some really good data I've gathered now from my last 350 I've had like 360 students fill out my workshop feedback form in the last three months out of like 800 kids so I've started to really realize that the work that I'm doing is having a positive impact and now I'm like kind of have that personal credibility in my own head that what I'm doing is working. But yeah, so it started with me just doing a few workshops at Narrabeen Sports High from my old school. And yeah, it's kind of snowballed into what it is today, which is a social media page for mental health with mental health tips. I've built an ambassador team with all of my other friends who are professional athletes in all different realms. I mean I've got two athletes who are ambassadors going to the Olympics next week. Um, sam Frico, who's a diver storm sanders who's a tennis player uh we've got um endurance athletes world champion wakeboarders ryan williams who's an ex-game the nitro circus gold medalist harry bing freestyle motocross so i'm building this community of athletes who are all saying you know what yeah we take care of our mental health and we have different little tricks and tips and i feel like i can offer this crazy niche that people don't have the network I do through my career. I've built this amazing network of different athletes and different, and just being curious to always be open to meet new people and be open to learn from people's experiences. And that's where my podcast came from as well, which is another somewhat spin off of the good human factory brand is good humans podcast, which is like you guys touched on before, just having a chat to great people and learning about their stories and finding out that you can pick up little bits from everybody. And there's no, perfect solution to mental health and that's the more I learn the more I learn that we just need to encourage people to be aware of their mental health not too many people think mental health is mental illness and I'll think about it if I'm really struggling but what I've learned and what I know for myself is if I'm doing stuff on a daily and weekly basis I can manage my mental health and that's more so what I go in and speak to the students and uh, corporate and sporting clubs now is encouraging them to begin to start building their own skills and encouraging them to maybe pick up some of the ones that I use but if not encouraging them to reflect on what skills they have because no matter who you are there's going to be a moment in your life where you're struggling and you need to lean back on those skills and I feel like we're missing or well especially when I was at school we were missing the mark with the mental health education it was all here's the signs of anxiety here's the signs of depression here's the statistics of suicide and that yeah, operates in a, a place of fear. And it's important to know these things, but I never, when I was young, got taught these preventative measures of mindfulness, of gratitude, of empathy, of kindness, of responsibility, which are my five pillars. I t- I learned these myself out of pure, my own vision to grow and my own working with my sports site to learn how to manage my own mental health. And now I'm like, oh, wow, I can just pass this on to other people because it's not that hard. It's just taking responsibility. And that's, yeah, kind of where I'm at right now. Just continuing to try and get my workshop in front of as many students as possible because yeah, I'm proud of where it's come and I feel like I can really get through in a little bit different, edgy, and um, yeah, hopefully a bit more inspirational encouragement and yeah, educational way for the students to connect a bit more with.
1: So much we can unpack from what you were saying there,
0: mate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll start with how it's fantastic that you've been able to recognize from like personal experiences and then through your own network, like you said, to be able to build this, you know, that's not sure the word word to describe it, but this fantastic resource and the workshops and everything. Like, I think a lot of people probably um, don't realize that in a lot of ways, I think. So, yeah, congratulations on that, mate. But I wanted to ask you, looking at some of the stuff on there, I was surprised how many people I did recognize in the, the mental health tips. So, that's pretty cool, but the uh, the merch. When's the tie dye t shirts coming back?
2: Oh, the tie I took out. them. Off, I took them. If you guys want one, let me know. I'll make you a special one. I just took <laughs> them offline because because I make them all by hand. So because oh, I'm yeah. running this big giveaway right now. For one, I just don't have any many white um, be kind of mind shirts left because <laughs> they're kind of my top seller and my supplier run out of white shirts at the moment, so I gotta wait. Um and because of this giveaway, I was like, oh, I don't want to do the tie dye and have like twenty or like fifty orders come in and have to tie dye fifty shirts. But um, yeah, it's it's a stock problem right now. But there's a lot of other merch on there. I just restocked hips and stuff.
0: It's <laughs> an impressive giveaway you're doing too. I was uh, looking at that the other day.
2: Yeah, I'm pumped. I need to get more people. bought. to be honest, there's not many entries. So if you want to win a seven day surf and snow trip to hang out with. Uh, eight time world cha- go wakeboarding with the world champion wakeboarder, go snowboarding with Australia's best big air snowboarder, come surfing with me and get it, all expenses paid, seven day trip, flights, accommodation, food, everything for you and a friend. Head over to the Good Human Factory website. <laughs> We're giving anyone who buys merch, every item of merch purchased in the month of July is an entry. So, yeah I just like the idea of giving people an authentic experience that you could not get unless it was through our network which is yeah I just know I'm so lucky I like I mean to name drop my sister's married to Fisher the DJ so I get to go on like on stage and watch the coolest things ever so like I know how special it is when I get to like meet these crazy people and experience from these elite of elite and if I can offer that to just two general public people who might not ever get to go wakeboarding behind a $400,000 boat in their life. If I can offer that experience just because it's like a way to include people in our community with the Good Human Factory, like I'm stoked. And we did a giveaway at the start of the year, just a two-day one. And the three guys like had the best two days of their life. They like went wakeboarding with Corey Tunison, two-time world champion wakeboarder. I took them surfing. They stayed at the Surfing Australia High Performance Centre and got to go skateboarding, trampolining. But, yeah, I just like to get to include people in the amazing life that I get to live because, yeah, it's it's very special, th- like, life that I get to live. And if I can encourage, include people in, even if it's just a week of that and give them the experience of a lifetime,
0: then, yeah, it's pretty special.
1: Josh, you've got plenty of time on your hands, mate. Just make sure you enter for us, can you?
0: <laughs> be, there'll be two shirts coming for this as you're teaching life and it uh, <laughs> might be my chance to get Crowley up on a surfboard, um, oh, yeah, which yeah, would be great. I really love, no, love how, uh, how willing you are to give back to, to people, really. like It's amazing. For someone that does live an elite lifestyle, I'd, I'd say you know, it, it could be easy not to be doing that, but you obviously take the time to look after everyone, which is amazing.
2: Yeah. And the, and the main reason for the merch, like I'm trying to leave real careful. It doesn't look like I'm just a merch company, but cause all of my workshops have been getting canceled right now. The merch is a uh, one way to for one, keep the business alive, but for two, a lot of schools are saying they don't have the budget for my workshops, which end up being around $10 a student, which is a lot cheaper than most of the other organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but most schools are coming back that they don't have the budget because a lot of the other organizations are government or charities or government funded or charities. So they can offer their service for free yet fundraise at $20 a student for their workshop. So I'm more affordable, but because I'm not a charity and don't have the funding. So now if schools can't afford it, I just dig into the, um, funding from the work from the merch so the merch is a way to and make our workshops more accessible for schools that don't have the budget to um yeah use our service
1: that's fantastic mate the um the second thing i wanted to touch on from what you were saying before like now that you're doing all these workshops and you're talking about how you didn't get that um insight into mental health like when you were growing up and i'm tipping i'm a little bit older than you so i can i can say that it was the same for me as well like when I was coming through, do you reckon now like that you're seeing more kids becoming aware of it, that hopefully in 10, 20 years time there's going to be a big shift through the work that you're doing and getting the message out?
2: I think yes and no. It's we're living in a very interesting world with social media right now. And yeah, it's, it's really, I just think it's so important because I think it'll slow down the decline that I feel like is going to come with COVID as well with, um, so many things going on in in the world right now that do have a negative effect on mental health. I think it is more important than ever to encourage people to develop these skills from a younger age so they can handle these devastating things that do get thrown at people during life. So, yeah, I feel like so often in the industry, like 95% of the funding goes to the crisis side of mental health, which is so important, whether it be, Having psychologists in hospitals. I think it takes, if you're, a, if you're a kid and need to go to a psychologist in Melbourne, it's like a 12 month wait. Like, that's not good enough. So, we need definitely, don't get me wrong, the funding to, needs to go so much to that side of stuff. And we need to increase, so like, delay, I mean, increase the amount of psychologists we have to see people who really need help. But I feel like we really need to double down on the education side of thing and encourage people to have the skills to not have to go ask for help. So often I feel like we're letting people get to the point of asking for help because they're unequipped with the skills and the knowledge around things that have a positive effect to your mental health. I mean, yeah, I, I can go into, I can go <laughs> off on, on many tangents when I talk about this stuff, but that's kind of where I sit with it all. I feel like, we just need to encourage people to take responsibility for their own mental health because we can't always be relying on these other services which are strapped to the rafters because we don't have the resources to for them to manage. So I feel like it needs to come back to the very early stage learning and the early stage development of anybody though. Like I love speaking to corporates and giving them a bit of a kick up the ass to go, like, hey, fire out, what am I doing for my mental health? There's no age to start working on things for your mental health. My mum started meditating because I taught her out to a month ago and she's like 60. So it's like, there's no timeline on improving your mental health. And that's what I think people need to understand that you can continue to build skills the whole way through your life.
0: Yeah, that's so true, mate. Love how passionate um, you are. And I reckon, you know, it'd be awesome to have kids sitting in, in front of you and listening to your story. Um, what, do the workshops look like you go into schools and run those what do the kids uh sort of do or the students do throughout those
2: yeah i love to share that so it's developed a lot like don't get a year and a half ago when i used to do my workshop i wouldn't have Oh, like looking back at it i thought i was like oh why aren't schools happy like booking me and i just didn't have the credibility i was very naive going into it oh i'm a young pro surfer every school want me but you need <laughs> to build that credibility but then my first workshop sucked like though like not sucked but the information was there but my skills as a presenter my skills as a speaker and my ability to engage the students i don't think was where it is now and i didn't know what canva was <laughs> anyway, anyone out there knows what canva is. my presentation was made on powerpoint compared to looking very nice and clean from a template um but yeah so now my workshop i'm, I'm really happy with where it's at it's very clean it's um So I go up, I have a presentation with a clicker out the front and I start by showing the kids that I'm going to teach, I'm going to hopefully encourage them to think about mental health a little bit differently in the next 45 minutes. So it runs for 45 minutes, have the big group sitting there and then I say to the kids, we're all on the mental health spectrum. There's one in five Australians with a mental illness but five in five of us have mental health and every single one of us needs to do something about it. So I start trying to encourage the kids to start... Sorry guys. Um, encourage the kids to start thinking um, about their own mental health. And then from there, I, this is actually kind of my MO that's I'm, I'm really proud of. So then I have a bucket out the front. It's like a big bucket that's transparent and it's got a scale on the side. It says full buckets, poor mental health, empty buckets, good mental health. And then from there I have five smaller buckets and I get the kids to come up and I say, who here's had a family member pass away? And it's been tough on their mental health. Half the room's hand will go up, get one of the kids to come up, get the little bucket, pour it into the bigger bucket. Ask another question, who's had something negative said to them on social media? Most hands will go up, I'll get a kid to come up, pour it in the water. Then I'll say, who's had an injury in sport and being, or been ill for a long period of time? Usually a hand goes up, come pour water in. So we, I show between the whole room that we all go through these different things that have a negative effect and fill up our mental health bucket. We all agree on that. There's nobody in life escapes that there's things that are hard on our mental health. And then I say to the kids, the bucket's full. What do we want to do? And most go pour it out. And I say, well, I see that as getting to mental breakdown. That's getting to mental illness. That's letting your bucket fill up. We don't want to do that. So I have five holes in the bucket and they've got stickers over them going down the bucket in a little bit of a line. And then I say to the kids, I know if I live aligned with my values by connecting with my five values, I know my mental health is going to be good. And then I go on to encourage them to start thinking about what values they hold. And when I say values, I mean traits. So for me, it's um, empathy, kindness, gratitude, mindfulness, and responsibility are my five. So the first one I get the kids to come up and I go, okay, first one and the most important one is responsibility. Unless you're willing to do some work yourself, unless you're willing to take the, steps forward like without action nothing's going to change you need to take responsibility and like you can go and see the best psychologist in the world your parents can spend all the money but unless you're willing to do the work that you get told nothing's going to change so it always starts with you to hopefully put it back on the kid and then i'll get one of them to come up they peel a sticker off the water starts spurting out of the bucket then i get say gratitude talk about how important gratitude is i have a little gratitude card they all do a challenge writing a gratitude note to their parent or carer whoever takes care of them at home just to encourage them to reflect on how nice it is that people do things for us who are grateful for. That's the second challenge. They come peel sticker, a sticker off the bucket the bucket starts pouring out again. So like they're seeing the mental health get better as the bucket starting to empty because I've got these holes in my bucket because I'm following these different things that I know have positive effects on my mental health. Next one, I speak about empathy, the importance of perspective and relationships. Then I go on to speak about mindfulness and take them through just a really simple challenge and explain that because life's starting to move so quickly, that's where I feel like as a population, we're really struggling to deal with our mental health because nobody's sitting, well, not enough of us are sitting and meditating slash being mindful and actually sitting and feeling with how we're feeling. So often we get to the point where we're so busy and we distract ourselves from taking a moment to actually, sit still with our thoughts because it's it's hard for people. You tell people to do it and they go, no, I'm not good at that. I can't stop thinking. It's like, well, you probably need to, to check in with where you're at. So I take the kids through a little mindfulness and activity on how to become present. And then I finish with talking about kindness and I break kindness into three um, pillars, being kind to yourself. So I take the um, participants through a little breathing exercise and, and encourage them to learn how to breathe correctly for one to lower heart rate, which is great for the me- for your mental health. And for two, to yeah, help reduce anxiety, just three deep breaths when you're really uptight is a massive, massive positive thing to do. Um, so yeah, being kind to yourself, be kind to your mind, being kind to others. I encourage the kids, I give them two minutes to turn to the person next to them and give them a compliment. And then being kind to the environment. And I finish with telling the kids how this is where I feel like living with your values makes you feel good is I used to, if I saw a bit of rubbish on the beach, I'd pick it up hoping that somebody saw me and made me kind of look good. And then I started to really do some work on my values and I realized how much I value being kind to the environment and taking care of our earth. So now I literally pick up a bit of rubbish. I throw it in the bin and, I physically and emotionally feel good because I know I'm living to my values. I know it's releasing the chemicals in my brain, which are aligned with kindness because I'm putting a bit of rubbish in the bin. So like, once you can start digging into those values, you can become a happier person. And there's so much science behind all the things I spoke about yet. I wasn't encouraged or taught many of this, these things at school. And on top of that, I would, I feel like being a young professional athlete, I can hopefully make it somewhat cool and make the kids go, Oh, like this guy isn't somebody struggling with mental health. This guy's like, looks like he's happy living his best life. And it's because of these things. So that's, I mean, my little five minute explanation of the presentation, but yeah, it's obviously a bit more engaging story filled and interactive than I kind of elevate a pitch to then. But yeah, I'm really happy with where it's at. It's been well received and yeah, the feedback's been really good.
0: Oh mate, all that sounds like absolute gold. I'm sure you teachers will be sitting there jotting all that down because it sounds amazing. I'm um, surprised you haven't considered a career in teaching.
2: Oh, I so. mean, maybe one. I I look look back at, I don't know how to explain. It. Uh, have you guys heard of Hugh Van Cuylenberg? He's he does yeah. know, the resilience Project. Reading his, I mean, my little sister's actually studying primary school teaching right now. I do love the idea of teaching, but I also like the idea of having the reach of more than just my classroom and that's yeah. kind of where I look at Hugh's story and he was like I feel like I nothing against teachers I, like you know what I mean like it's not trying to be <laughs> condescending that the reach isn't there but I just feel like I have an opportunity with my profile my platform and hopefully my ability to connect and storytell to get to the masses and to be yeah a bit of a role model to not only younger generations, but my peers, that's where the biggest impact I've had is, is the people around me, the ambassadors of the Cush Human Factory, who are other young athletes, giving them a platform to do some good in the world, to feel good about the things that they're doing, making it having an impact beyond their sport.
1: Hmm. You're kind of educating people though, with what you're doing in a lot of ways, obviously, but including peers and teachers, I think. Like I'd imagine when you present at schools the teachers are taking away just as much as you are like the resilience projects probably become big in our sort of context in the last few years but before that we never really considered the idea of gratitude empathy and mindfulness in the way that it's presented now so I think delivering it in the framework that you are for a lot of people that have got a lot going on in with their own classroom they're probably just thinking wow this is such a simple thing that I can do. I'm gonna go take that away and tell my mates about it.
2: Yeah, and it's funny actually. I literally had fully developed my whole program, no word of a life from my own experience, my own work with my psychologist. I'd never heard of the resilience Project, and then I got told about it, and I read his book, and I was like, no way, like jam, like gratitude, empathy, mindfulness is like three of my five are like his, and i was like, oh, hopefully he doesn't see mine. I think I've just fully ripped him off, but it's pure coincidence. <laughs> but I think it's just goes to show the power of those certain things keep coming up in almost every successful person you read their story Mm -hmm. and either early mornings, cold showers, all these things that you like hear about time and time again, there's usually a very common denominator with people, whether it be mindfulness, whether it be reading books, all these things that the elite of the elite do that, yeah, we all have the resource to doing, but it comes back to responsibility. If you're not willing to take an hour out of your day to work on your bettering yourself, self-development, whether it be reading a book, whether it be meditating, whether it be, yeah, working on yourself, whether it be exercising. So many of us discount working on ourselves to try make an extra buck or to try get ahead, where in reality, it's just putting you behind in other aspects of your life because money kind of runs... Runs the world above, usually our health and our well-being.
1: Uh, you've uh, definitely inspired me to get back into meditating, Cooper. It slipped a bit <laughs> the last few lockdowns, so that's what I'm starting tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs> no,
2: it's good meditating. I like to be honest. I just started this thing a couple of weeks ago. What on a day twenty-three actually? I always preach meditation and stuff, but I'll be honest. Like the front half of this year, I might have been meditating like three times a week, maybe two times a week, some weeks which for me is disappointing considering like it's something that I preach and teach, but it's because, yeah, I just got lazy and I realized that I need like an accountability group. So now I have, and for the last, I've done the last 23 days straight because I was like, I need an accountability group. And I started a face or an Instagram um, group called the 1% good club where I have, it started with me just saying, surely I can dedicate 1% of my day to my mental health. If I run a mental health business surely I can dedicate 1%. So 14 minutes of your day is 1%. So I'm like 10 minutes on meditation, four minutes on gratitude. And I started this 1% club and now I've got like 120 members, four groups of 30 people on Instagram where I send a meditation in the morning to everyone and everyone comments like, yep, done my meditation for the day. So it keeps everyone accountable. And then at night I send three, everyone writes in the group, three things they're grateful for. So they, um, yeah, just have, that little reflection at night everyone writes what they're grateful for And it's really nice reading everybody else things that went well for everybody else during the day and even if you have a bad day just trying to find those three things like even a hot shower is a good like something to be grateful for just trying to like really build that value of gratitude into people and it's been so good for me because like i'd always preach it but wasn't as strict as i needed to be but now i'm yeah 23 days straight of just 14 minutes a day and i feel like i'm beaming at
0: the moment that's so cool, breaking it down like that because, you know, I'm not sort of the same as cry I've done the meditation before, but it easily just falls away. But breaking it down into 1% of your day or, you know, 14 minutes, it's nothing, is it? You can easily make that time to sit to down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great way to do it.
2: Yeah, so that's my new little concept, the 1% Club. Head over to the Good Human Factory Instagram and check it out. I need to do a bit more and build it a bit more. But, yeah, within 24 hours, I had 120 people in Instagram groups joined in. So it's pretty cool.
0: That's fantastic. Great job, mate. Wondering, like we often chat to teachers to find out, you know, their most proud moment of working with students and stuff. What about you with your running your workshops within schools? Have you had like a moment um, individually thought like, yes, this is amazing what I'm doing. It's really impacted you personally.
2: Oh, oh. I mean, I get it's really nice when you leave a school and you get an Instagram DM from a kid saying, oh like thanks so much for coming to my school like I learned so much about that or I like the ones when it's not even directly to me when it's like you hear word good things word of mouth is always really nice like my sister posted something on her um Instagram about my workshops and one of the one of her followers on Instagram damned her saying like oh my son saw your brother do a talk at blah, blah blah like he's a young surf or like he's like a young athlete and I've never heard him come home from school and talk about a presentation. And he said, he's going to start like writing his gratitude notes at night. And like like to know that there's kids actually appreciating like what I've developed is, is really special, but um, yeah, I mean, I get stuff all the time. I get so many messages that are so humbling to receive, but I just feel like I'm very at the tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's so much more work to do. So I don't want to get too comfortable where I'm at. I feel like there's a lot more, reach and growth that I'd love to be at because I know the impact that it's had on say the thousand people it's had I'm just like fine I need to get this to 10,000 students in the next 12 months because yeah I feel like the mental health is such an important topic but a topic that isn't communicated in the right way all the time Mm. not saying that I'm communicating the right way but I think it's a lot softer way to for kids to get educated like very uh, maybe once or twice in the whole 45 minute presentation do i mention the word anxiety or depression which i think for a mental health talk would be very very rare that's a really
1: good point actually yeah i'd agree with that we hear it all the time don't we josh in schools
2: well it gives people permission and it's it's really sad australia is the second highest per capita country that's uh, prescribed for any anxiety and any depression medication which I think is extremely disappointing considering the country we live in. I'd like to think we wouldn't be the second most depressed and anxious country in the world Mm. with the socioeconomic and country we live in. So I think it's either a a problem with our uh, medical system and half a problem with our education system. So between the two, there needs a lot of work, but hopefully organisations like mine can continue to be extra resources and support network for the government and for the schools to maybe try something different to the system that is clearly flawed. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Cooper, we're getting towards
1: the end, mate. Thanks again for all your time. The last sort of segment that we normally have is just, you've already left lots of um, hacks and advice for our listeners, but like a bit more of um, some things you can leave for the listeners. I suppose you've touched on self-development a lot. I'm interested to know some of your favourite books or books you'd recommend to people that want to work on their self-growth. If you could
2: narrow it down a
1: little bit to a couple.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Narrow it down to a couple. Um, Oh. I highly recommend reading Grit by Angela Duckworth. That would be my number one, that one. And Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. If you want something to motivate you and inspire you, um, that's an amazing book. Um, another book that's a must read is Andre Agassi's autobiography called Open. Phenomenal story that I, to be honest, have don't really care too much. I, I enjoy watching tennis, but not to the point where I thought I'd ever pick up and read Andre Agassi's book, but got recommended it. Cause it's a story of, it's a story of finding your purpose and it's really, I think great for athletes to read when it comes to developing their career and what they kind of finding you why. Um, yeah. So Andre Agassi's book open phenomenal. Um, what else? What have I read recently? Oh, uh, just kind of anything i find just reading any self-development books and picking little bits like you don't have to love the whole book but you might find one little thing from a book and don't go into reading a book expecting to um implement everything in the book into your life like i guarantee the person who wrote the book doesn't even implement everything into their life it's like me saying i go and do my workshops a lot of the, some of the stuff I teach, I barely use on a daily and weekly basis, but I know it works. So it's just trying to find the things that work for you. And um, one more good one is called the confidence gap by Russ Harris. That's a good one for um, a way to build confidence. I learned so much from that book, like the main, one of the main kind of quotes that I live by is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. So whenever I'm about to go and do a workshop or I'm, don't know whether to say yes to something I just say yes and when I get up to do whatever it is act confident and then generally the feeling follows very rarely do you if you feel 100% confident you've probably waited too long to like shoot that shot that's, that's awesome a great point,
0: isn't, it? isn't it yeah <laughs> nice
2: little
1: sporting metaphor there
2: to leave <laughs> us I, I like the. I just like the metaphor of if you've waited too long to put like something out it's like to perfect it, it's generally too late, like or like if you if you love your first website, does it like I just love the idea like being like a young business slash i mean I don't like the word entrepreneur, but the idea of like just trying to like build your own business and get creative, but I like the idea of not being a perfectionist all the time, like I'm kinda of like come up with an idea, get it out in the world all right, shift it to make it better rather than like get it perfect, get it out and it not be per- like people not appreciate it anyway. So I'm like, I, I enjoy just like getting stuff done, getting it out there and then moving on to the next project. But yeah, that comes from that confidence gap. Yeah,
0: that. you see, it certainly seem like a doer that you get your ideas and you don't muck around, you just get them done and, and put them out there, which is amazing. <laughs> um, if you could give yourself a piece of advice, or the 18-year-old Cooper Chapman, give him a piece of advice, uh, what would you say to yourself?
2: Oh, 18-year-old Cooper. Probably learn more about how to learn more about finance and money. Get better <laughs> on top of my fine. Just in a way, like I used to get paid pretty decent money that I probably could have been a bit more diligent with it. I mean, in hindsight, I don't regret anything. Like the life I've lived is the life I've lived and I don't regret it. But in hindsight, it would be nice to be in a more financially stable situation right now, which I probably could be if I had some boundaries with certain things but it's um yeah i think that's my advice i'd give to my 18 year old self learn how to manage your money better
0: (laughs) agreed yeah Yeah. we can all agree to that i reckon
2: yeah uh cooper
1: thanks so much for um chatting to us mate really appreciative and great to hear your insight into um, this particular space now, we can find um, everything about you at thegoodhumanfactory.com. Is that right? That's and it. Well, Podcast
2: search. The
1: yep. Unreal. Cool. We'll make sure everyone checks that out if you're listening.
0: And jump on and grab yourselves a shirt to enter the contest. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Before the end of July, get on thegoodhumanfactory.com and you could win an amazing all-expenses-paid trip to bring a mate and come hang out with me and a couple of the best athletes in the country and the world.
0: No, that's fantastic, cool. man. Well, yeah, thank you once again. You're clearly passionate about mental health. and It's been awesome sitting and chatting to you today. And, yeah, we really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, and if any teachers out there want to learn more about our workshops, there's more info on thegoodhumanfactory.com too. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks to having me on, guys. It's been a nice little chat.